Today we want to take a look into the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 9 through verse 20. Interesting reading, as we'll see here, the John the Revelator is the one that was recording this because he experienced this firsthand. The vision of the Son of Man, beginning at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient enduring that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I die, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Did you ever wonder what Jesus would look like? Artists have tried to paint him according to their own imagination. A well-known picture, I think I would say, would be the Solomon Head of Christ painting. I happen to have one, yes, there, it's beautiful, though. I have one in my office. But actually, there's nowhere in the scriptures that describe him in detail and what he would have looked like when he walked the earth. <coughs> Isaiah 53, verse 2, Isaiah the prophet said, He had no form or majesty that we should look upon him. One author wrote it like this, There will be nothing in his appearance that would mark this one as being God's answer to the evil in the world. He will not be handsome, 
He'll not call, he will call as little attention to himself as a plant growing slowly on dry ground. And so most scholars feel that there was nothing in Jesus' appearance that would have drawn you to him. He wasn't tall, dark, and handsome, as sometimes you hear referred to. Although many looked upon him as something very extraordinary because of the great wisdom and authority by which he spoke. But no one mentions any natural beauty. But we do have, here in the scriptures that I just read, an awe-inspiring portrait of the glorified Christ, the way he would be now in heaven. John the Revelator <coughs> received this vision while he was exiled on this island of Paphos. And he begins by identifying with his readers and describing why he was there receiving this vision of Jesus. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Look back at verses 5 and 6. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think he's saying there that as brothers and sisters in Christ, all believers who will live godly will become companions in tribulation for their faith in the Lord. John was no different. He was banished to this small island as a religious political prisoner back in 95 AD by Emperor Dominius. They say that Patmos is a isolated volcanic, volcanic island only 10 miles long and 6 miles wide located in the Aegean Sea. And now here's this very old aged apostle John there performing hard labor in the mines on Patmos. However, history tells us that within 18 months he was released by the new emperor, Niwa. Verse 9 tells us that John was sustained while he was there by the, the Lord, the patience through Christ that was with him. You know, it's wonderful how God provides the strength that every one of us needs as you go through some very hard times of testings and trials in life. If you haven't yet, it's coming. That's part of life. But it's so wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is there with us. Praise his name. He was sustained by the patience of Christ. He came through victorious. Verse 9 tells us why John was exiled. In the first place, it was because of his faithful preaching, teaching of God's word, and also for his testimony that he gave for Jesus. Mark 10, 29 and 30 he writes there that all who leave their homes and families for my sake, the gospel will suffer persecution and tribulation. I think I could safely say that when you are in those times of suffering and persecution, the presence of the Lord is closer and nearer than at other times. That's been my experience in many ways. John, like Peter, 
and Paul received their greatest revelation during those extreme times of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Here in verse 10, John the Revelator received his vision while in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This is the first of four visions that he gets that you'll see throughout the book of Revelation. Here in verse 10, then later in chapter 4, verse 2, and then chapter 17, verse 3, and then finally chapter 21, verse 10. Now the term being in the Spirit, it's a phrase that is often referred to someone, maybe a prophet or an apostle, under the control of the Holy Spirit. They could have been in a, a trance-like state as a vision was coming to them, or revelation. But then the phrase, on the Lord's day, now that, that phrase can actually be interpreted two different ways. Today would be considered the Lord's day. We gather for worship on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead and was alive forevermore. The Jewish people of his day would have had the Sabbath on Saturday, Believers from the very first century began worshiping together Sunday on the Lord's Day. Others interpret this Lord's Day to mean the day of the Lord, the day of judgment uh, that was being revealed here to John, maybe over an extended period of time in which God brings judgment and sovereign rule upon the earth. Here John was, recorded, was recording what he saw, what he heard, about the future day of the Lord. So scholars are pretty much evenly divided on which camp they're in. I think both camps sound good to me. So we know that today is the Lord's day. It's good to be met together in worship. Well, John's revelation focuses on Christ's message to the seven local churches of Asia Minor there in the first century. We've looked at the Patmos captivity. Now let's consider the portrait of Christ. In verse 10, in this exalted state, God says, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Does anybody play the trumpet? Jen Gerlach does, I hear. Okay. I didn't think quick enough. I should have passed that hand behind me. Then you have a door over here about right now they give a blast. That have got your attention, wouldn't it? Well, now try to imagine that the Apostle John is standing there all of a sudden, this voice behind him, like a trumpet. A blast so loud. And the voice said, and belonged to Jesus, he said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, for those of you that are Greek scholars, you understand that's the first last letter of that Greek alphabet. Some translators actually omit the line there in verse 11, but all included back in verse 8, where it had already been stated. And so the Lord commands the apostle here in verse 11 to write down what he saw, put it in a book, put it in a letter, send it out to the churches of Asia, those seven churches. Well, verse 12, when John heard this loud voice, he quickly turned, wouldn't have you, to see where this was coming from. And what did he see? Twelve golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of them, he saw one like the Son of Man. Now the term Son of Man is often used in the four Gospels in reference to Christ and his humility. So the glorified Christ still has the human form. What else does it have on his hands and feet? Identifying marks of his suffering. The only thing he took from this earth. This same Jesus came to earth. He lived and then he died. And now is the eternal sovereign Lord of the universe. So John goes on record here. Recording the sevenfold description of what Jesus looks like in his apparel and in authority. Notice verse 14. The hairs of his head were white like wool and as white as snow. Verna, you look closest to that, I think, this morning as I look over the group. Well, Young is pretty close second. And Merv Buckwalter was there. He has such nice white hair. I think white hair is beautiful. I really do. Because the Bible tells us that a silver or white head is worthy of honor. So let's give honor to those among us that are older because I believe it will convey wisdom, maturity, dignity, and experience. But the whiteness on Christ's head could have been because of your, the tremendous bright light there shining in heavenly glory. Now, these images correspond to Daniel's vision that he had of God when he saw what he termed the Ancient of Days. We would read in Daniel 7, verse 9, his hair was white like pure wool. Again, white hair in the Bible is symbolic of purity of character, dignity of age, authority, as a judge, eternalness. And Daniel's statement regarding the Ancient of Days is believed to apply to Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, there in verse 16, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That made me think of the Apostle Paul, rather he was Saul at that point, on the Damascus road when suddenly a light shone out of heaven so bright then knocked him from his horse. And who did he see? Somebody tell me. Who did Saul see that day? Looking down at him out of heaven. We all want to say it. Come on. Jesus. His brightness. Can you imagine how that would have been that it did not fall down and he was blinded? I would like to think to look at Jesus, it's like looking into the full day's sun. You don't do that. Not for long, or you're going to damage your eyes. I remember the, when I was a little guy, we were having an eclipse of such, and they told us how to make this cardboard box with a little hole, and you looked at it inside, it showed you the eclipse, and we were not supposed to look at the sun. The teachers made sure that we knew that. And so there's no surprise that Saul was blinded and, and John here falls down as dead. We also would read there in Matthew 17, verse 2, of Christ's transfiguration up on the mountain. As he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun and his clothes 
became white as light. So it's no wonder there, verse 17, that John the Revelator falls down dead. <clears throat> verse 14, he says, his eyes were like the flame of fire, a penetrating gaze of look, a look of intelligence, a look of righteousness. And yes, also the judgment is going to be a look of condemnation and damnation. No wonder the scriptures are clear to tell us that the wicked will not be able to stand before him in a proud or arrogant way at the judgment. They're going to melt before him in guilt and shame. But look at verse 15. He describes the feet of Jesus. They were like burnished bronze refined, refined in a furnace. I think that's symbolic of the strength stability of our Christ. Hebrews 10, 13 says, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. And then verse 13 describes how he was dressed, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Now in the Old Testament times, priests wore robes flowing, beautiful, they all kind of decorations is for the glory and beauty of God. Now, I know there's some churches today that the pastor or priest still wears a robe. I don't know what you thought if I come out with a big long robe on this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. I had a funeral one time when the father, as we referred to, had a robe, and I almost got one. But he saw the look on my face and said, no, 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 I wouldn't expect you to wear a robe. I didn't even know I had the act saw that. So I'm not saying either way on that. I think to me they're okay in their place. Um, robes were a symbol of majesty, divine authority. Remembering Christ's glory, his beauty, his high priestly ministry. Now look at verse 15. He talks about the voice. He said, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. How many have ever been in Niagara Falls? It can, get, it can be quite loud there, can it? Those of you that were on the trip to Africa last year, we went to that beautiful Victoria Falls, which actually dwarfs Niagara Falls. It was beautiful, long, flowing, and again, a roar sound of the water. Well, here, this is what the voice sounded like to him. Verse 16, John tells of his speech. He said, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, the sword is mentioned at least six times throughout the book of Revelation, referring to Christ's word of divine judgment. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I wonder what Mount Pleasant's angel looks like. I believe we have one. He says, this is a mystery, previously hidden truth. 
that Scripture now divinely revealed. Uh, I can imagine by this time John is really shaken up, shaken up, and Jesus says those words: "Fear not, fear not." In verses seventeen and eighteen, words of comfort, of assurance. And then he says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. That's the Jesus we serve, friends. Praise the Lord. The right hand of the Father, just sitting there doing nothing. No, he's interceding for every one of us. And then he says in verse 18, I have the keys to Hades and of death. Christ has the right to possess those keys because he conquered the devil and he defeated death. Praise his name. But well, we've discovered, uh, considered the Patmos captivity, the portrait of Christ, and lastly now, what is the purpose of this vision? The apostle was brought back to reality when Jesus commanded him to write and record all these things that he was seeing. So first he writes letters to those present seven churches. And then he writes the future prophecy. I've heard people say, and I, to the point of leave I'm there, that there's nothing more that needs to happen that Jesus could come today. It's interesting as you study Daniel and Revelation and all that has taken place over the ages. And we are right now at the last point. You've probably heard that song on the radio that says about Jesus is coming back and it's at the midnight hour or something. Like now it's not coming to me like I thought, but 11.59, that's how it says. It's 11.59. We know it can't be long. My friends, I pray for churches today to have a new glimpse of the glorified Christ. As I said, he's seated there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us in all his glory, his splendor, and his majesty. Can we even imagine a sense of awe as we would stand before him? A sense of fear not of being afraid, but of worship and reverence as we can look upon the majesty of our infinite Lord. I think, well, I know that we would probably react like the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone. I dwell among a generation of unclean people. He sensed his own sin when he came before the glory of, of Jesus. And we would too. We fall so far short of the glory of God when we're in his presence. But isn't it wonderful that he wants to put his arms around us and love us, forgive us, hold us up in his glory and righteousness. May we humble ourselves as we worship out of a heart of love to devotion. Worshiping him, as I said in the very beginning, in the spirit of truth. 
not out of former habit. God forgive us if we're guilty of that. I know there's times that I come to church very weary. Maybe I'm not feeling best physically. I'm not my best, but oh, I pray that every worship time we would be giving ourselves to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to bless our hearts and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Out of love, out of adoration for all that Jesus means to us, who He is and what He's done. Let's walk carefully before Him. May our service be found acceptable in His sight. Amen. 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 Please stand as the worship team.